Luke chapter 5. Let's go back to our Christ series. Took a bit of a break. Uh, That began during our missions conference. By the way, we'll try to schedule that. We're in the works, as a matter of fact, of scheduling that. Beginning the second Sunday of October again next year. Go through Wednesday night and have our giving service the following Sunday. That's what we did this year. I think it worked better for our church than doing our missions conference beginning on a Wednesday night through Friday night, taking Saturday off, and then coming back on Sunday morning. And so we feel like the Lord blessed and and led in that direction, and so uh, we look forward to doing it that way again next year. The Lord comes back before next year. We'll let Donald Talent moderate the service. Can I get a witness? Luke chapter number 5, as you find verse number 27. If you can and will, would you stand with us, please? We'll honor the word of God by standing in, in, in honor to the word for the reading of today's text that we're preaching from. We're interested in Christ's call. Just follow me to Matthew, or as Luke records him here, Levi. Now, the companion text for uh, Matthew's call is found in Matthew and in Mark as well. In Matthew chapter number 9, verses 9 to 13, then Mark uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 13. But here's Luke's account, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse number 27. And after these things, he went forth, that is, Christ went forth, and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's right, isn't it? Isn't it right? If a man doesn't see his needs, you can't help it. I've often said of young and old, if a man won't listen, if a kid won't listen, they got problems. They may not, may not have problems right now, but there's problems down the road at different turns of life. And if a man don't want help or a lady doesn't want any help, there'll not be any help for them. That's on you. But help's available today. Father, we pray that you'll take your word the reading of it, and the preaching of it. Bless it to hearts and lives. May we leave better than we have entered. We pray this in Jesus' name and to his honor. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. Christ's call upon the life of Levi. We better know him as Matthew, and I'll probably repeat this somewhere in the course of the message. We don't refer to him as Levi, do we? We refer to him as Matthew. Uh, probably because of his gospel and how that his, his gospel is placed at um, the, the beginning, the front of uh, the New Testament. After the 400 silent years uh, between the prophet Malachi and the New Testament, the church fathers, early church fathers, felt like that Matthew ought to be presented first to head the New Testament canon. And again, I may touch on that and I may not before we finish this morning. But we, we resume our look at the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, this, this being our 36th look into his life. We're nearing the end of what's recorded in what we believe to be the first year of his public ministry. 
you can bring us right back up to, without going back to the circumstances and events leading into the birth of Christ, uh, you can use right here this fifth chapter and the last messages that we looked at leading into this message. In Luke chapter number 5, for example, in verses 1 through 11, there was a large catch of fish, wasn't there? And you found there Christ called to the four. I call them the four. Um, they were four fishermen. We believe there were more than four disciples who became apostles that were fishermen by trade. But it was uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And he had something for all four of them. But you remember we tried to lay emphasis on the fact he really had something for Simon. He had his eyes on Simon. I wonder who he has his eye upon here today. Maybe some young man, some young lady, and he has something for you. <laughs> you just never know what the Lord's up to. Amen. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. You remember there was Christ's cleansing of the man full of leprosy. Then in verses 17 through 26, the message just prior to this thing, this one, it was uh, Christ's healing and cleansing of the paralytic who was born of four. He was a man sick of palsy. He couldn't walk. His friends got him up the outside staircase onto the rooftop, removed the tiles, and let him down on his bed into the midst of the gathering because there were so many people there they couldn't get him through the door. And the Lord healed him. And then here now in this fifth chapter of Luke, you can trace his life. The next event in his life here in verses 27 through 32 is his call upon the life of Matthew. And, of course, again, this text calls him Levi, which is his Hebrew name. It's his given name. This call upon the life of Matthew is found to be an individual call. No one can answer this call for Matthew except Matthew. Um, no one else can do it for him. His daddy can't do it for him. His mom can't do it for him. If he had siblings, they can't answer this call for Matthew. Matthew has to answer this call uh, for Matthew. It's an intimate call. It's between Jesus and Matthew. It's intimate. No telling what kind of work was already going on. As a matter of fact, I'll mention that here in just a little bit. But this is a personal call. This is personal business between the king himself uh, and this subject being Matthew. It's a most important call. This uh, call involves Matthew coming to Christ and then coming to know the Lord in a much larger and a more deeper measure. Today I want to speak under three headings. If the Lord be our helper, I'm interested in a consideration of the life of Matthew. I'm interested in Christ's call upon the life of Matthew, and then the contribution that comes from the life of Matthew. I'm convinced if God has saved an individual, whether he ever called them to preach or called them to a mission field, or they can sing as Miss Wanda so giftedly sings and gives her offering to our church in doing so. If you can do that or not, I'm convinced you will leave a deposit uh, behind. You'll leave something behind to the glory of the Lord. If you're saved, you'll leave something behind. Uh, there are those that we all are following their pattern, right, that are now over on the other side. Uh, the Lord left them here until he was finished with them here. Their life was indestructible until God said, now's the time, and, and then called them home. And so they've left a mark on our lives. I could mention some of you by name and some of, the, some of those that you've mentioned just in personal conversation. Wednesday evening, we were standing down front, four of us men. Wednesday evening, the service had been dismissed probably 45 minutes. minutes. I, I wish y'all would go to the house when we say amen so I'd go home. 
And, um, but Mike Robbins, he spoke of E.L. Crumpton. I loved Brother Crumpton. He was good to me. Scared the daylights out of me. I'd been preaching, been surrendered to preach maybe four weeks. And he had that nasal about himself, didn't he? I love to hear him talk. He could talk like nobody could. That's the way he talked, wasn't it, Miss Peggy? That was E.L. Crumpton. First time I ever heard him preach, he preached out of Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And he read his text, and he said, Dear people, I want to preach on Jesus is coming again. And I'm telling you, he, he brought him almost back in the rapture that night. And he had a touch on his life, but Mike uh, Robbins mentioned E.L. Crumpton. God used him. God used Brother Crumpton. And he left a mark on me. He was a gambler before he was saved. And he drank and, and couldn't read or write. And, but God saved him. Then God called him of all people, a man who couldn't read. Uh, like Bilbo Lively of yesteryear. I never had the privilege of meet you, meeting Bilbo Lively. But one of the prayer, you have heard the name Percy Ray, and I've got to quit rambling or I'll never get anywhere this morning. Um, Percy Ray had the testimony when he wanted to pray about an important matter. One of the men that he contacted was Bilbo Lively. And God used the two men together. Brother Ray and Dr. R.G. Lee um, dedicated a number of churches one Sunday in North Mississippi and in Central Tennessee, South Central Tennessee, and um, Brother Lee, Dr. R.G. Lee, who pastored Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis for years, he preached the dedicatory sermon. It was eight or nine churches on one Sunday. They started early and finished late. And Brother Ray, Dr. Ray, prayed the, prayed the dedicatory prayer in all those churches, Buckhannon Baptist Church, one of them. And Dr. Lee never preached the same sermon twice that day. Eight or nine times he preached, never preached the same sermon twice. And Dr. Ray prayed differently for each body of believers. That's amazing to me. But um, to get back on our our thought, there are those who leave behind. Whether they realize it or not, they left a print and an imprint upon our lives. So it is with Matthew. He leaves a contribution behind that we glean from even continually to this day. A consideration of the life of Matthew. I want to mention two uh, subheadings here. First of all, Matthew's names and then Matthew's shame. He had some things he was ashamed of, no doubt, after he was saved. We'll mention those in just a moment. But beginning with his names, Matthew's known by two names in the Scriptures. We've already mentioned that. There's Levi, as Luke records him, and then there's Matthew. Levi was his Hebrew name, which tells us a lot about his upbringing, doesn't it? We know that his daddy was responsible to teach him a trade. Just as sure as when we were preaching of the young life of Christ, you remember he was a carpenter. It's because Joseph was a carpenter. Joseph was responsible to teach him his trade, his occupation. He was responsible to put him to work as a young fella and teach him his craft, teach him his trade. I would have loved to. uh, I see sometimes David Box's woodwork and Ray Shelton's woodwork. I would have loved to have seen Christ's woodwork, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have liked to have seen his craftsmanship? I'm going to say he did it good. And I'm going to say there had been no fault found in it. And, um, but um, but never, nevertheless, he would have been taught, whatever his father, Alphaeus, whatever his father's trade was, he would have been taught that. His father would have been responsible to teach him of his ancestral heritage, put patriotism in his life if the young fellow as a boy if he would have accepted that he would have been responsible to teach 
Levi or Matthew scripture and scriptural um, scriptural principles and ceremonial expectations, what would be expected of him throughout his life, and the commemorative feast and observances. It would have been his father that would have taught him that. And there was a strict adherence to that. So we know how he grew up, at least to a large degree. Matthew is the name, again, that we're all fond of, and I'm convinced it is because of his gospel. We don't know if Jesus gave him the name Matthew or if he assumed it for himself or someone close to him after salvation or even prior to. We, we don't know how nor where nor when Matthew got his name Matthew. There are many in the Bible that bear double names, right? Even in the Old Testament, there's Jacob, also known as Israel, who God's chosen race of people is still called by to this day. In the New Testament, there's Saul of Tarsus. We better know him as Paul, the apostle. Uh, There's Thomas, which is called Didymus, and probably the best-known double-named man in Scripture would be Peter, Simon Peter, right? And so here, Matthew bears two names. The names Levi and Matthew. His given name, his mother and father gave him the name Levi. And of course, that reminds us of of the the tribe that he's a part of, uh, that was responsible for the worship, uh, all the ministry and worship and upkeep of the sanctuary. It was Levi's uh, ancestors, his forefathers that would have taken care of that. May I mention to you Matthew's shame now. Matthew had forsaken his heritage as an Hebrew. We all know, uh, sadly, but we do. We all know children that have grown up and uh, they've left their raising. They've abandoned their principles taught in their childhood and in their adolescence and, and in their youth. They've walked away from church and they've walked away and turned their backs on the things of God and the teachings of Christ only to leave a mother and a father behind, bewildered and blaming themselves. Uh, we've all watched that play out across time. Uh, I know some people that are very crushed and heartbroken because they gave of themselves as a mother or as a father. And you say, preacher, how does that wind up? Um, there are a lot of things that probably factor in, but I'll remind you that each individual born has a will, and that will will either be yielded to right uh, or not yielded to uh, God and godliness in Jesus Christ or will not. And they'll make a choice in that. They'll make a choice in that somewhere in life. Now, thankfully, we all know of cases where somebody turned their back on the raising, but before they had to leave this walk of life, they did come back. And uh, they were either saved or got right with God and, and spent their days out living for God. I told you recently about uh, Brother Larry from out at Calvary in Taylorsville and and how that I made mention of him, Brother Larry Childress. And his son came to me the next evening, helping his mom out of the car. And he said, thank you for mentioning uh, Larry Childress last night. He said, that's my father. And I said, is that right? And he lived his life as a drunkard and, 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 and as an addict. And after his daddy died, he contemplated the things of eternity. And knew that death on his path would be drawing quite nigh. He remembered his old praying daddy and and his mama, and, and begin to think of the things of God once again. Got his life right with God, and he's there. I'm convinced of it. He's there at Calvary Baptist Church this morning in Taylorsville, North Carolina, on the second section over there, right by his little mama. And, but Matthew had lived a life like that for a span of time. He had forsaken his heritage as an Hebrew. 
Matthew also, secondly, I'd say that he chose a profession that revealed his heart. Do you know a man doesn't have to say very much if you'll follow his pattern in life? He'll tell on himself, won't won't he? Uh, Just by his habits and what he does in life, where he chooses to go and spend his time. He'll identify himself by those that he surrounds himself with or who she will do. So, as a publican or as a tax collector, he had uh, forsaken his identity, his Again, his ancestry, Matthew, Levi, he was a Jewish man. And in order to be a publican, he had to bid to the Roman government for his job. And I'll remind you that the Romans were the oppressors of the Jews. Matthew's job was to take taxes from his own people and then deliver them to the very people that were oppressing and thought very lowly. They, they, they looked upon Matthew's people, the Jewish people, with disdain. Uh, they were a second-rate citizen. They just uh, were looked upon with a snarl, if you will, and a growl. They looked down upon Matthew and his people. Yet Matthew, for a dollar bill, he's willing to turn his back on his own people so that he may pad his own pocketbook. Publicans were known to extort money for themselves while they would collect taxes. They could name the price. And they were known commonly to do that and take money and pocket it uh, for themselves even in the conversion of Zacchaeus the publican, who was a chief publican. Uh, you remember what Zacchaeus said. Now, the Bible says in Luke 19 that Zacchaeus was rich. And we know how Zacchaeus got his money. After he came to know the Lord, he, he said, if I've done, uh, he said, that I'll restore to fourfold to those that I've done any harm. And, and if, I've, uh, if I've done the poor wrong, and no doubt he had, he said, I'll restore it to fourfold unto them. Matthew had taken, or excuse me, Zach, uh, Zacchaeus had taken money in, uh, in, in an unbecoming manner. We believe that Matthew did the same. As a matter of fact, after Jesus said, follow me, he rose from his receipt of custom and he did just that. And the next step that he took was he hosted a great feast in verse number 29. And there was a great company that attended that feast. It had to be a large home in order to have a great company and host a great feast. The common Jewish family didn't have a large home. And they couldn't have but just a few people in their home. So we know that Matthew as well is rich, uh, very rich. Let me say something else about the profession that he chose. Publicans and sinners, they were tied to the same class. Look, if you will, at verse number 30. The Pharisees began to... Uh, begin to deride. They begin to criticize. Look at verse number 30. Uh, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? It's as though they're saying, now why do you um, uh, meet and eat and sit down with publicans and with sinners, people who are of lower class than you, people who are outclass, um, outcast to us? Isn't that amazing how people do that to other people? Look down and despise other people. Did you know that God never one time does that in his scripture? But over and again throughout the Old Testament, matter of fact, some of the Old Testament prophets, particularly particularly those minor prophets, they charged the people for overlooking the poor and taking advantage of them. And Christ has come and, and given hope to the poor in his glorious gospel. Did you know looking at somebody uh, that has less than you, it, very, it, it represents the very grace of God, according to James chapter number 2, to look at someone as though you are better than and they are less than? And uh, 
in the parable that the Lord gave of the Pharisee and the publican. You remember how that the Pharisee began to pray, Jesus said, and he said, I thank you that I'm not like his other men are, extortioners, and unjust, and adulterers, and so on and so forth. And then he kind of glanced over at the publican, and he said, even as this man, he doesn't have any hope. And that's the way the Pharisees, uh, and that's the way others looked upon the publicans of the day. But aren't you glad Jesus offers hope to the hopeless, those who are outcast and pushed out in life? According to, according to Jewish tradition, what we know is the publicans being tied to the, and sinners being tied to the same class, that they were just almost on the lowest rung of the ladder. As a matter of fact, they were harlots. Just below them were considered the tax collectors or the publicans, and just below them were base people that just didn't have common sense about them and couldn't find their ways out of a thunderstorm. That's the idea, just base sinners. Now, that's how low that the publicans uh, were looked upon in their society. Publicans were looked upon as an unclean portion of their society. They were known to be liars. After all, they took advantage of the tax system to pad their own pocketbooks. Most believe that it was impossible for a publican to tell the truth. So much so that even if a tax collector or a publican was eyewitness to a crime, they were not allowed to come in the, into the courts of law and offer any, uh, any testimony. They weren't allowed. No one believed their word. They also were known to be cheats. Their money was considered to be unclean. Nobody that had any Jewish uh, patriotism about them. They didn't even want them in their synagogues, offering their money in the synagogue. Jews considered becoming a publican as a Jewish man, working for the Roman government, they were considered to be a Benedict Arnold or Judas Iscariot. They were considered traitors to their own people. So there's a consideration of the life of Matthew. Matthew's names, he has two in Scripture. There are his shames. Matthew had forsaken his heritage as in Hebrew. And then he chose a profession that really revealed his heart. Secondly, not only a consideration of the life of Matthew, but Christ's call upon the life of Matthew. Look back with me to verses 27 and 28. The Bible says, And after these things he went forth, that is, Christ went forth, and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Message number 26 in our series. You remember, I've already touched upon it, but message number 26, you remember we, we spoke of Christ, uh, follow me to the four fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I want to borrow from some of those thoughts, not all of them, but I want to borrow from some of them here and give at least a threefold emphasis and uh, give just a little bit more, uh, maybe a little different application. You remember there are at least some 16 follow me calls of Christ in Scripture. Um, and that, uh, that call to follow Christ still goes forth today. The one that I consider every time I think about Christ saying, follow me, is, is, the, uh, is his follow me found in Matthew 16, 24. Listen to it. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's an order there in it. He's got to first deny himself, then take up his cross and follow me. The same call that we dealt with back in those days, back in that message, in other words, still goes forth today. Christ, follow me, is a call, number one, uh, to follow Christ in salvation. 
In order for a man to be saved, he must first realize himself a sinner. Somebody's got to drive him by Mount Sinai. Somewhere along the way, he has to realize he has violated the law of God. Uh, Our holy God has been offended. Somebody has got to tell him or tell her that she is guilty, that he is guilty as a sinner. Let me pause to interject this thought. The, The farther we go beyond salvation, the more we learn of Christ. The more we study his scriptures, the more we learn of our sinfulness, right? In the last year and a half to two years of Paul's life, he referred to himself as the chief of sinners. He said, I don't see how anybody could have been a worse sinner than I was. And the farther you go with Christ, the more that will be, uh, the more that will be something that will come forth from your expression as you, as you speak of yourself in, uh, in light of God and who he is. Now, you must uh, turn your back on sin, even abandon self and what society has to offer. There's no doubt in my mind that Matthew, it's not just that Jesus walks up to him as he's collecting taxes this day, and he's never heard of Jesus, doesn't know who he is, never heard his message, and Jesus just simply says, follow me. I I wouldn't buy that for one single second. He knows who Jesus is. Matthew is sitting at the receipt of custom in the city of Capernaum. Jesus has been chased out. He's been rejected at Nazareth in his hometown synagogue. And he's come now and been now for some time in Capernaum. Uh, Matthew knew quite quite well who Jesus was. As a matter of fact, when he came into Capernaum, according to Matthew 4, verse number 17, the Bible says, From that time uh, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's already heard the message. He knows who uh, Christ is. It's an old writer that I like to read after I'll quote him twice this morning, Lord willing, Alexander White, uh, W-H-Y-T-E. He has a lot of uh, personalities, a lot of character studies in the Scriptures. He's worth reading. The old writer is worth reading. Everybody that reads much reads him. This is what he wrote about this experience. He wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, knew Matthew the publican quite well. He said, perhaps too well. Jesus and his mother had by this time migrated from Nazareth to Capernaum, and he had often been in Matthew's toll booth with his mother's taxes and possibly with the taxes of poor people there from his area. So he knows who he is. When Jesus passes by the receipt of custom and says, follow me, there's more at work there than just him mentioning two words and Matthew getting up, forsaking everything that he'd never known, uh, that he knew in his life and walking away and following Christ. The call today is the same as it was for Matthew and same as it was for the four fishermen to follow Christ in salvation. And then there's the call to follow Christ in sanctification. Again, Matthew 16, 24 bears that out, does it not? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Sanctification is a lifelong process. Sanctification is a process of growth and maturing and developing in our walk with Christ. It's where the Spirit of God takes the Word of God. If you don't ever read your Bible, don't expect to grow very much. If you're not familiar with the Word of God, don't expect to grow very much in this walk of life before you get to heaven. But the Spirit of God will take all of that, will take your circumstances in life, and will take the people that He will place in your life. And, and you'll soon learn that all things are working together for good as He works in your life to cause you to look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the process of sanctification. You can't do it on your own, and I can't do it on my own. 
I read that verse twice already out of Matthew 16, verse number 24, about denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following me, is what he said. In Galatians 5, 24, Paul, writing in the same vein, wrote, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Galatians 6 and 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Colossians 3, 5 begins, Mortify therefore the members of your body. In other words, those things that are ungodly, those things that are wicked, those things that are disallowed of God that you allow in your life, you are to put that out of your life. And and the more you learn of Christ, the more desire you have to do so. May we be found looking more like Christ the further we go. I told you about uh, that uh, that Sunday. I'll never forget the first time I came across the story in George Stewart's writings. George W. Truett was a pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas for a lot of years. And he wrote of walking the sidewalks of Dallas one day and said his, he was just, just kind of just walking and, and headed to a, a place of business and said, this, said his eyes met this lady and said, said she was locked on him. And he said, as, I, as we met and passed one another, I felt like she was staring at me. And he said, so I stopped and turned around and said, certainly she was. And he said, ma'am, said, do I know you? And she said, no, I don't think we've ever met. He said, you just look like somebody that knows my Lord. And I'm going to tell you, that ought to, it ought to be an experience somewhere in your life that somebody looks at you and says, I think you know Jesus. I, think, I remember I was working at uh, Action, worked there for several years here in Pontotoc. And I'd worked over at Bobby Panels, and, and uh, as a frame builder, I built the front. And, um, and two different men that I worked with, and both of them would work. Built the back, and we made good money on production. And we didn't have a whole lot of benefits, and so uh, somebody told me if I'd put my application in, said, you'll get the job if you'll put you. And so I did. And so I started working, and, and I built arms for two lines. Built the left arm for two lines. And I'd never built, gone through that process of, of building. And I could do the work. I just had to work hard until I learned how to make every move count. And then I got to where I'd sit down and study the Bible. As a matter of fact, I just about pastored two churches. Jane, we worked together at the same time. As a matter of fact, I pastored, you might say, two churches. I pastored over at Pleasant Dale, and then as people would clean up their stations, as they would finish, people would begin to gather there around my workstation. And we had questions out of the Bible all the time, every day, Monday through Friday. We gathered around, and, and look, I didn't just outright preach to them, but I got to preach to them. And we dealt with everything from speaking in tongues to what the purpose of the church is, you, you name it. And um, I was thinking to tell something really good, and I don't know what it was. I've lost my train of thought. What was I talking about, Donald? You wasn't listening, was you? <laughs> He's been listening to Minnie Pearl on the gospel station. He, he don't know what I'm talking about either. What was I talking about, Brother Ronnie? I was thinking to say something really good. <laughs> I wasn't listening either. Here we are in the ditch. It'll come to me in a minute. You know how that it does. I do know what I was going to say, and it's not in my notes if you want to look. I was working about two or three days, the second or third day, fighting it like fighting fire. And the man who built arms for line five, F.G. Tudor, he lives down here at Randolph. F.G. saw that I meant that I would work, number one, and that I meant to get my quota without 
without a float helping me out. Now, if he hired me in, I want, if they hired me in, I want to do my part. I asked them for the position. I expected a wage. They should be able to expect a day's work. Isn't that right? When we get in First Timothy, we'll see that in chapter 6. And F.G. saw uh, that I meant to do my job. And he'd lend a hand every now and then, give a tip or two. And he'd say, if you'll do this, it'll save you a lot of hard work. And I listened to him. And I remember I was there about the end of that first week. And I turned to the man that built the right arms for those two lines. And I said, James, I don't know who that fellow is, but I'm convinced he's a Christian. And he said, he is a Christian. He's a member of Cary Springs Baptist Church down at Springville. Now, I want to tell you something. If you live for Christ, people know it. If you don't live for Christ, people know it. I've got to shift and go on. The call today is to follow Christ in service and in faithfulness. Christ said to Levi, he said to Matthew, he said, follow me. He said, follow me. To follow Christ, to turn from this world and follow Christ, to run into the arms and the care of the Lord Jesus Christ. I used to preach on faithfulness. I wouldn't just take a whole sermon and preach on it, but I deal with, touch on faithfulness. And without fail, there was an older brother that sat in the service. Without fail, if I ever touched on faithfulness, he'd come by me, and, and without fail, he would say, Preacher, after all God's done for me, the least I can do for him is to be faithful. Here's what the Lord did for Matthew. Here's what he did for Levi. He changed his heart, and he changed his life. Think about it. He changed him from being a taker into a giver. He changed him from being a traitor to a faithful and loyal follower of Christ. He who had once turned his back on his very upbringing and the God of his ancestry is now going to turn and embrace Christ and give everything that he's got. The Lord changed him. A handful of you took an interest a few weeks back now. Little Sam Bumgarner. I mentioned, I mentioned him now, I think, three weeks in a row. Sam helped sing with the choir last Sunday. He and another little fellow to the right side of their pulpit. One of the men sent me a, sent me a, um, uh, sent me a picture of Sam. He had a microphone. He's about right here, and his buddy's right over there. And they were singing that song, Thank You, Lord, for Your Blessings on Me. Both of them about the same age. Last Sunday, Sam testified, and he shouted, 11-year-old boy. He's got the Gillian Bars syndrome, and he testified, and I couldn't make it out. There was one of the men sent me a clip of Sam testifying, filled with emotion, tears streaming down his face. He told the folk there, at the church, Poplar Springs Baptist Church, he said, y'all don't realize just a few months ago I couldn't walk up those steps. And he said, and today I got to walk up those steps and sing with a choir. A little fellow blessed me. I couldn't make it all out. The man that sent it to me, he told me a little bit about it. The Lord's changed him a few years back. Now he's doing a work in his life. And it's produced gratitude in the little fellow. He's a giver. Sam's a giver. I got off the phone last night. And I 
reminded Amanda about a fellow that I preached to week before last. I believe it was week before last now. All these weeks have run in together on me. Scott Denny. I did mention him to you. I believe it was last week. Scott and Slim. You remember Slim. Slim sends a hello. Um, Scott and Slim could run together. Pre-Calvary, post-Calvary. They come from the same world. They're made up just a little different. It blessed my heart to get to meet him. He's been saved only a few months. He was the first one that approached his pastor about his giving. Spoke to him on Tuesday morning. Um, There were several testified in the Tuesday evening service. And Scott didn't testify. On Friday night he stood. I sat back yonder by some of the folk from Poplar Springs. And Scott and his wife sat about three rows up from me against the wall. Scott stood and testified. And he said, he said, I was supposed to stand the other night, and I wouldn't do it. I'm telling you, God used just a brief word of thanksgiving to be a blessing to those people there in Macedonia Baptist Church. I was talking to Scott last night about his testimony, what a blessing it was for me personally. I've spoke to Amanda about this, to watch him. A big old rough man. God has saved him and humbled him. That's one of the marks of Christianity. The further you go with Christ, the more humility there will be about your life, sir, or your life, ma'am. The more we see how big he is and how merciful he's been to us, the more humility that will produce. It's one of the marks of Christianity. And I said, it's God that's a blessing to watch you get up out of your seat and go crawl up in that choir. He didn't know what a choir was about. But he's just glad to be there. And this is what he said to me. I tried to, tried to write it down so that I wouldn't miss it, though it's only a few words. After we spoke about how God knit our hearts together in the meeting recently, he said, uh, he said Brother Kevin, he said, ever since uh, the meeting, he said, I've been watching your services there where you are. He said, at work, he said, I can't see it all, but I can hear every bit of it. He said, tell everybody there that I said hello and I'll meet them one day. Isn't that a blessing? An old boy that just soon fights you and push you out of the door to get through it. And now he'll stand hold the door for you and be glad to do it for you. Produce humility in your life. Brother Stacy Lane and I, and I'm not just here to talk about revival meetings. We've been preaching that meeting together now for a few years. Some of you know Brother Stacy, Brother Greg. You met him years ago when y'all were in Florida. You used to come there and preach in the Bible conference, the camp meeting. And he remembers you, what you could do with music even back in those days. And Brother Stacy told about the change that God had made in people's lives in the Bible one night. And he told about the old boy up in Evansville, Indiana. I used it the other night to close out our, our semester. And said he was mean and rough and fault and all like that. And they just called him, uh, they called him Old Bill is what they called him. Just a roughhouser. Shot pool and drank and troublemaker, rebel rouser. Couldn't get along with anybody, always stirring up trouble. Called him old Bill, got into it with one, with one fellow one night in the pool hall. The fellow took the pool cue to him, put one of his eyes out, and they started referring to him then as one-eyed Bill. Said he's mean. Said it didn't slow him down a bit, but then said somebody got to sharing the gospel with him and praying for him. And said old Bill got saved. They didn't know what to call him. And said they got to calling him new Bill. <laughs> Said folk got to wandering around the pool hall. 
Where's old Bill at? Oh, Bill, who you talking? One-eyed Bill, where's, oh, you talking about new Bill. He's over at the church now. God so changed his life. You know what my focus has been ever since the Lord saved me? It's been the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've thought about it in recent weeks. It's been the word of God. It's been his ministry. And, and I trust that so with all of us. There's the contribution of Matthew's life. Let me give you this. And uh, I'll try to cut some of this out as long as you don't say amen to that. The consideration, a consideration of Matthew's life. He turned his back on everything he knew to be right and holy. The call of Christ upon Matthew's life. He said, follow me, Matthew. And he did it. He did it. The contribution of Matthew's life. There's an immediate contribution to Christ and even to his friends. And others, the Bible says, look at verse 29. And Levi, this is after he left all, verse 28, rose up and followed him. That is, followed Christ. Verse 29 says, and Levi, same man that we're talking about this morning, Matthew. And Levi made him, that is, made Christ a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans. Can you imagine the gathering? And there was a great company of, the, of publicans and of others that sat down with them. He honored Christ with a great feast. And then he, he invites these that he's, he's been in the same profession with. And he turns an evening meal. He turns a supper meal into an evangelistic service. Now, for, for any Yankees that may be here today, he turned a dinner meal into an evangelistic service. You know what that simply means? He wanted his friends to meet Jesus too. Do you want your friends to meet him? Now, if we really love the folk we say we love, we have to get the gospel to them, friend. The Bible does not say for them to find a church and come into it. But the Bible tells us who are part of the ecclesia, a called out assembly to go and tell them. That's part of the gospel. It's only part of it, but it's part of it. Step number one in the Great Commission. Secondly, there's not only his immediate contribution to Christ and to his friends that we see, but there is his eventual contribution to Christ. Here's what we know from church history. And some of the early church fathers. Matthew would go and evangelize in Ethiopia and Persia. As far as we know, he became a martyr for Christ. He laid his life down and others would gain strength. Because he was willing to die for the faith. That's what Jude called it, wasn't it? He said that we should earnestly contend for the faith. Not faith, not even the gift of faith, but the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. The body of truth. Matthew was willing to die for it. Let me hasten on to his continual contribution to Christ. Here's my second quote of Dr. Alexander White from so long ago. He said, when Matthew rose up and left all and followed our Lord. The only thing he took with him from his old occupation was his pen and his ink. 
And I'm glad he did. There's this continual contribution to Christ. There's this gospel contribution of Jesus Christ. You've heard me say it on a number of occasions for 11 and a half years now. Matthew wrote to the Jew. He's well qualified to do it. He is a Jew. The Jew was looking for their long-awaited Messiah, their king. And the gospel of Matthew is all about the king. You get his pedigree in chapter 1 and his virgin birth, and you close the book with his glorious resurrection. He's so convinced he's king, some 50-some-odd times, I think if I counted right, some 56 times, he uses the word kingdom over and again. It's Matthew that gave us the great sermon on the mount. It's Matthew that gives us the parables of the kingdom. Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew gives us some things that that none of the other writers gives us. And let me mention something else about Matthew. He never elevates himself. Never. He loses himself in his gaze upon the king. Three things, and won't unravel it. In his gospel of Christ, three things he never loses sight of. Number one, the majesty of Christ. Number two, the mercy of God. Number three, the misery and plight of man outside Christ. Then I have to give you this. He leaves a contribution concerning money. He writes more about money than even Solomon in the Proverbs. Writes more about it. He's very candid. He's very open as he writes about money. J. Golder Burns said, as no other disciple, Matthew could preach the dangers of riches like no other disciple. He warns of the devotion of money, and I'm giving you this in closing. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your hearts be also. He says, whatever you treasure most is what you're going to give you time to. It's what you'll devote yourself to. Some have given money such a top priority. They've walked away from husbands, wives, children, mothers, fathers. Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He said you cannot serve God and mammon. He writes of the decay of money. He said Jesus said this. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. He points out the fact that everybody's going to lose their money. I could give you a figure as to what's in a, a savings account, a checking account, and a retirement account. You know how much of it I'm going to take with me? Nothing. A very wealthy man died, and a nosy neighbor said, How much of it did he leave? How how much did he leave behind? And another friend said, Every bit of it. He left every bit of it behind. Matthew warns of the deception of money. Matthew 16, 26, For what is a man profited? If he gains it all, the whole world, he said, and lose his own soul. And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
And the truth of the matter is, monetarily, Matthew probably gave up more than he and the rest of the disciples who we know now to be apostles. But he gave it up. He's like William Borden, C.T. Studd, other men who had wealth at their fingertips. God called them into ministry. They turned their back on all of it because they did not want it to be an entrapment to them. After these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom and said unto him, Follow me. The Bible says of Levi of Matthew, And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. Matthew left his old master. He's found him a new one. He teaches us a handful of things. He teaches us that Christ is worth forsaking all. He's worth giving all. And Christ is worth sharing with all. Let's stand.